0: Yeah.
1: Hey everyone! Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And Maddie is not able to join us today, but just because she's having some technical issues and her internet wasn't working quite good, so we had to push forward with our uh, with our episode. But you know, she'll be on next episode. She's not gone for good, so don't worry about that. Today, we are sitting down with CEO of the Global Aquaculture Alliance, Wally Stevens who is a good friend of ours and you know a, an inspiration to us all. We, we love Wally. We love having him on the show. We're glad that he was able to join us and share his story for one of our Career Pathways episodes. I'm sure if you are a regular listener, I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy this because you all seem to really like the Career Pathways episodes. And you're going to enjoy this one just as much because Wally has a great story.
0: Yeah, and before we jump into the episode, uh, remember there are a few ways that you can reach out to us. One is we are on social at Aquademia Pod. You Send us an email, podcast at AquacultureAlliance.org. And again, you can visit AquacultureAlliance.org. Go to the education page. Scroll down a little bit to the Aquademia section and you will see a contact us button. And there you can fill out a form if you want to be a guest, have topic ideas. And things of that nature
1: yeah and make sure you subscribe to Academia wherever you listen to podcasts we are there leave a rating and review that helps us kind of get up the charts a little bit and get into more ears so we can grow this community of responsible seafood lovers i think that's all we have so enjoy this episode with wally and we'll talk to you next time
0: Welcome to the Aquademia Podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. We desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood.
1: All right, here we are. Thanks, Wally. Thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate you coming on. Like we said in the in the introduction, these career pathways episodes are are de- by far our most popular. People really like hearing people's stories and kind of some of the inspiration that they can share for the audience and and you know help them give give them a little confidence to build their own career in the industry. So Wally, we've been wanting to have you on to do one of these episodes since the beginning, and we are very grateful that you were able to join us. Thank you.
2: Well, thank you, Sean. I grew up in a little town very close to where our office is at today, Stratham, New Hampshire. I uh, went to schools in this area, college at Plymouth State University, uh, went from there into the Army, served my three years on in the military, came back, um, went to work here in Exeter, New Hampshire for Sylvania Electric, uh, starting in 1965. And in 1969, I saw an advertisement for a controller for a seafood company in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And the, the company was Booth Fisheries, and that facility today is owned by Highliner Foods. So it's still operating, producing value-added products, much as it did when I joined them in 19... 19- late 69, early 1970.
1: What, what, what three, does a controller do when you say that? What, what, what was that job?
2: Would be a, it would be a, really
1: a financial controller doing
2: the, the income statements, balance sheets for that particular operation, which was part of a much larger business uh, that Booth Fisheries operated around the world. Okay. After three years uh, in Portsmouth, I was asked to become the plant manager of our Booth Fisheries, Brownsville, Texas, operations, which were all about breaded shrimp, peeling shrimp, um, and working with our fisheries operations in Mexico and Nicaragua. Uh, this required a move from my wife and our three boys to a very different place than uh, is New Hampshire. That particular facility that I managed uh, in Brownsville is today owned and operated by Rich Seapack. 1975, 76 timeframe, I was asked to move by Booth to the headquarters in Chicago. Booth Fisheries was owned by Sarah Lee Corporation. And as Senior Vice President of Operations for Booth, my responsibilities ranged from our fishing fleets and processing operations in Newfoundland and Nova Scotia for ground fish, Lubeck, Maine for sardines, North Coast Seafoods in Boston for primarily fresh New England species, Nanticoke, Maryland for surf clams and oysters, Seattle, Washington as a receiving station for salmon halibut and other West Coast species. In addition to which we also had a number of regional seafood wholesale distribution operations around the United States. And we operated two cold storage operations in Chicago and St. Louis.
1: The fact that you remember (laughs) all of that, that specifically, is amazing to me. (laughs) Wally, did you ever get on any of those fleets while you were working there?
2: I did uh, on the fleets in Nicaragua, uh, on the shrimp fleets uh, in Nicaragua. I I went on board the vessels that we had in Portune, Newfoundland and in Petit de Gras, uh, Nova Scotia, uh, but didn't go to sea uh, on any of them did go out with the oyster tongers in Maryland um, with a uh, hand tonged for oysters, um, uh, which we then processed. Booth, though, was really had an an incredible exposure to all things in the fisheries. Processing of value-added products, commodity products, distribution, sales, and probably equally as important allowing me to become involved in other industry associations such as the National Fisheries Institute, uh, where I started volunteering in 1979 um, with that organization. So in life, it's important to not only do your work for your company, but if you care about your industry to see if you can find some time to do some work for the industry that uh, you're involved in. I was with Booth uh, in Chicago um, until 1986. So in total 17 years with Booth fisheries. And I became more and more intrigued with aquaculture toward the end of my time with Booth. Most of everything we did at Booth was wild caught species. Mm -hmm. And I could see that in New England and in Eastern Canada, those species were being overfished. And the only thing that was going to supplement that or replace that was going to be aquaculture. So in 1987, I joined a startup salmon farming operation called Ocean Products in Eastport, Maine. So I've now moved my family from Exeter, New Hampshire, to Brownsville, Texas, to Chicago, and now to Maine. That operation in in Eastport is currently run by uh, Cook Aquaculture. Um, But what's also interesting is that salmon farming operation was right across the bay from where earlier in my career, I'd worked with sardines in Lubeck, Maine. So much of life is about going full circle uh, in, in in one's career. And Really embracing where you're at today because you never know when you're going to come back, and that past is going to uh, catch up with you in your in your career.
1: <laughs> also, uh, an important reminder to not burn bridges when you <laughs> when you move from one one place to another.
2: Abs <laughs> absolutely respect your coworkers, respect your industry, make it better at all times, um, and and it'll, it'll come back. Uh, to pay dividends as you move along in your career. I sold Ocean Products, the Salmon Company in 1990, again to Cook Aquaculture. And as I say, the hatchery and farm sites that we developed there in the late 80s are still operating as part of Cook Aquaculture. I then went to Slade Gorton Company in Boston. A one-more family move to the Boston area. And Slade Gordon is one of those, one of our industry's iconic family-owned businesses now with a third generation of management. Uh, While at Slade, we relocated the operations from one part of South Boston to another. Uh, That was at the time when they were doing a project called the Big Dig. Um, And so we were taken by the state for that project and relocated uh, to another location.
1: Is it still in that location
2: where yeah. we that where business you... operates from that location today?
1: Yeah, I I have been there. <laughs> Me and Molly went there once. That's right. Really.
2: Um, I became the president of Slate Gordon uh, during which time I also became the chair of the National Fisheries Institute. And while while with the National Fisheries Institute, I was fortunate to uh, have been involved with. Uh, some of the other folks there, as we thought about leadership development. And so as chair, we launched a program called the National Fisheries Institute Future Leaders Program, which has really been a remarkable success for the National Fisheries Institute, but more so for our our industry as well. It continues strong uh, every year, uh, producing and allowing men and women to become trusting of one another, and more respectful of what we do throughout the seafood industry.
1: I want to stop you right there and just call out the Future Leaders Program. We have a number of co-workers here that have participated in that, and one of which is a fan favorite, Elise Avalon, who has joined us for a number of episodes, is is going, she was just accepted into the Future Leaders Program. Is that correct?
2: Yes. She's yes. starts. She does go through it this year, but you're right. We've had a number of our associates at the Global Aquaculture Alliance who have gone through the um, uh, Future Leaders uh, program.
0: So, when did this start again, Wally? The Future Leaders program uh, started in 1998. Still going strong. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And uh, as I say, it continues uh, uh, well to this day. And, and it really is about, as I say, exposing men and women in our industry to the complete industry, getting to see all aspects of it. And as a consequence of that, creating a network of their own, not my network, not some other person's network, not their boss's network, but their own network that they can turn to uh, in times in their career when they've got questions that they want answered by somebody outside of their organization. It's really been the highlight of my career, I would say, is the, um, involvement with the Future Leaders Program.
1: Yeah. I know that the, the people who I've spoken to that participate in it, they continuously reference it, um, throughout their, you know, throughout the work that they do. Um, I think it definitely seems to have a lasting impression and maybe we'll talk a little bit at the end, if any of our listeners are interested in that program and, and maybe applying for that in the future, we'll, we can talk about that later. Sorry to interrupt continue. Sure. <laughs>
2: well, I, I, um, Retired from Slade Gordon in 2006. I had reached the retirement age of 65, um, moved to Vero Beach, Florida in retirement, and I quickly
0: flunked retirement. <laughs> that may be a theme um, in this episode, Wally. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something tells me yeah. this isn't the first time we'll, we'll talk about this.
2: But an associate uh, that I'd worked with for many years in the industry, Bill Herzig. Uh, And I had both worked with one individual. His name was Frank Hollis. Uh, He had been the president of Booth Fisheries. He had been the president of Rich CPAC. And when he passed away in uh, 2006, Bill and I drove up to the funeral together and we got talking about this organization called the Global Aquaculture Alliance that was going through some uh, startup. Uh, challenges as, as they were growing. And they were looking for uh, somebody to help them maybe a day a week as executive director or whatever term it might be. And so I started one day a week from my home in Vero Beach, Florida, working with this group out of St. Louis, Missouri, uh, where it had as, as, as its president George Chamberlain, his wife Susan was working with him, and there were three or four other people in that office very small staff, um, and it was very easy to really get to appreciate the passion and the mission that uh, they believed in uh, at the Global Aquaculture Alliance. So three years into this, I'm spending more and more of my time with GAA, so I then flunked Florida. 2009, and returned to New Hampshire, where today we live in a home a block away from that home we owned in 1970 when we started our career in the seafood industry.
1: Oh, wow. Do you know the people who live there now? I do. Are they nice people? They're very nice people. Good, good.
2: <laughs> and the neighborhood where we lived then. Uh, is essentially the same as the neighborhood that we're living in today. The same sense of neighborhood, horror of a feeling. The homes have not been changed dramatically. Um, so it, it's, again, one of those interesting things where in life personally and in your career, things go in a full circle.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Just thinking about... So in 57 years of marriage, Meredith and I have moved while in the Army to an apartment in Oakland, California, to post housing at Fort Mason in San Francisco, back to an apartment in Exeter, New Hampshire after my military service, bought a home in Exeter, New Hampshire, then on to Brownsville, Texas, three separate homes in the Chicago area when we moved there, Only one in Maine when we were in (laughs) aquaculture. Only one in Western Mass when we were with Slate Gorton. And in retirement, moved to Vero Beach, and then back to two separate homes in New Hampshire.
1: That's 13 moves. It just
2: really (laughs) shows, you know, the importance of family support in one's career. And whether that's personal family or your business families. And- you know how fortunate we are when we have um, that support that reinforces us, that gets us up and out of the house every single day uh, with um, uh, some joy in our heart, uh, embracing what we do uh, and and the people that we do it with.
1: You know, that's that. I'm really glad you brought that up. This is actually a kind of a common theme that's come up in a bunch of these types of episodes is is the support and the you know the seafood spouses maybe we can have a seafood spouse roundtable or something um you know we we spoke with uh, jeff peterson who similar to you has i mean he's lived all over the place he's moved from di- between different countries and different parts of the u.s and uh, his wife teen has followed him everywhere they've gone with a big you know teen with the big giant smile on her face that she always has um, and you know George discussed some of, some similar situations as well as he moved about too. So it's uh, something that is maybe not talked about as much and not as appreciated with some of some of the people who have made pretty prestigious careers in the industry. The the support that helped get them there is essential and necessary. And yeah. I'm glad you I'm glad you gave uh, Meredith a little shout out because she deserves it. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, I think it really, it really probably personally speaks to my aspirations to improve, and to, and to have have greater influence uh, on the, in the seafood industry. That each one of these moves that I've made, I've made, um, because I saw something more that I wanted to be involved with, or I saw changes taking place. That excited me, and and I've never really been afraid of change. Uh, in fact, I, I, I like to think that we we embrace we embrace change, and if you do that, you really learn, and you really have opportunities that you might never have thought about having. When I was growing up in in Stratham, New Hampshire, I never would have thought that I'd have would have had this type of a career, and yet one that brings me right back to the area that i grew up in and the, the area that i will ultimately retire uh to
1: retire so what's going on right now where, where what do you uh let's let's uh, get back on track with your story and kind of how you ended sure. up here
2: so right now we're we're looking to um expand our influence in the seafood industry uh, at the Global Aquaculture Alliance. Um, we've been doing the positioning activities for the last couple of years to get us ready to do that. We're bringing a new chief operating officer know, on March 1st, uh, Brian Perkins, uh, with the aspirations that he's going to finally Allow me to no longer flunk retirement.
0: Uh, We're looking at a third chance at that. We're going (laughs) to take away your key fob so you actually won't be allowed into the office.
2: (laughs) But I, I think by the end of this year, Brian, coming in as Chief Operating Officer, the merger of the Global Aquaculture Alliance into the Global Seafood Assurances Organization will allow us to provide two programs of assurances um in the seafood area one for aquaculture and one for the capture fisheries that really positions us as a global seafood alliance to really make an immense difference for men and women around the world who are engaged in fishing farming uh and the uh, all aspects of the seafood industry so i'm i'm 80 and i'm looking forward to um uh many more good years of living uh and and a slow transition out of uh, the workforce and uh, working with you folks uh, and seeing you you folks fly
1: well i'm sure i'm sure we'll see you again real soon after that after that retirement yeah. comes for some of our listeners uh, i think a lot of our listeners are, are fairly comfortable with gaa and who we are and what we do we talk about it all the time but some of these changes that you just alluded to are, are pretty big changes. Can you maybe kind of whittle down the whole idea of what's happening with GAA and, and in sure. a nutshell, kind of explain it in a way that our listeners might be able to get a good grasp on it? Because I think it's going to be something that we need to keep reminding people of, you know, this is happening and this is why it's happening and, and this, is, this is what you can expect. What, it, what is kind of the, the quick elevator pitch for this is what's happening with GAA and this is why? Just so they get a better understanding.
2: Sure. So everybody wants to see sustainable seafood industry. And for us, sustainability means that you do things responsibly. And we show evidence of that responsibility through standards, uh, which provide the assurances of responsible practices. And they include the environmental issues, the worker issues, animal welfare issues, and food safety. And to date, through twenty-three years, the Global Aquaculture Alliance has done that, provided those assurances through third-party standards, incredibly well. And we would see, we do see some gaps in the capture fishery side, particularly with workers on fishing vessels, that we think need to be addressed. So it is the formation of a global seafood alliance to provide not only the assurances from aquaculture that we do today, but also to provide those assurances flowing from sustainable fisheries through certified fishing vessels, certified processing facilities to the marketplace and onto the consumer, so that the consumer ultimately knows not only the provenance of their product, but also that the product that they have in front of them comes to them as a consequence of people doing things responsibly. That's what the Global Seafood Alliance is all about. That's what all of us are working to achieve. Uh, We're in the assurance business uh, that allows people to then feel comfortable consuming more seafood.
1: And it's going to grow in the advocacy space as well, not just advocating for responsible farm seafood, but responsible seafood in general, whether it's farm caught or wild caught, which is kind of the m- message and mission that we've had on this podcast since the beginning. And so it's it's kind of a nice, easy transition for us. <laughs> but uh, we're really yeah. uh, we're really excited for for some of the work that's going to be coming out of GAA yeah. as this uh, happens. So I got a couple more questions for you. I know I, I told you I wouldn't ask you questions, but you know questions come up as <laughs> as you're talking, and uh, I have you for an hour, so I want to I want to try and use, use the time that I have. You mentioned we we talked about it. You're, you've been all over the place. You lived in Nicaragua. You lived in uh, you know Chicago. You've been to all these different places. You've traveled the world for seafood. You got to have some fun stories that you can share with us and our listeners. I'd love to hear if you have any outstanding things, memories that, that you just you can't ever let go of, uh, that you that would be fun to share. That come to mind.
2: Well, when we were in Nicaragua, we um, we had one of the only seafood companies that was not co-owned by the president of Nicaragua, General Samosa. We refused to uh, share ownership with him, uh, and yet he was a close friend of my general manager down there. And when the Sandinistas in 1978 and 79 decided that Samosa should go, my general manager decided that he would help Samosa overthrow the Sandinistas. He didn't do this as a company job. He did it sort of pro bono. (laughs) And um, as a consequence, uh, when the Sandinistas did overthrow Samosa, they arrested my general manager, put him in jail in Managua, Nicaragua, and I had to go down and get him out. (laughs) And I was pretty, pretty concerned about doing that. And this clown of mine, my general manager, he thought it was the most fun thing he'd ever done. (laughs) And the funniest thing he said is he was able to get a brand new mattress (laughs) uh, to sleep on in the jail. Oh, man. He subsequently, I did get him out. We got him home. He subsequently um, uh, returned to Nicaragua uh, uh, in a covert way to uh, mine the harbors. So this is the type of characters that we've seen in the seafood industry, particularly back in the 60s and the 70s. People that if you were going to be lost in the jungle with only one person with you, that you would want that one person uh, to be to be with you. Um, You know, I I think it's the characters that we've we've come across uh, in the in the industry, probably more so in Latin America for me um, than in than in other uh, parts of the world. The joys have really. The fun stuff has really been the pre-competitive work that we've, we've done. You know, our jobs at the various companies are are important, and it's great to hire people and see them advance in their careers. But to do it on a pre-competitive basis is special. So future leaders has really been special. Um, I'm a trustee of the University System of New Hampshire, And to see how we've been able to deliver a quality product of education in times of of a pandemic uh, is really neat to see. I I have to, I'm sure there are other more humorous events Mm -hmm. uh, than, uh, than my general manager in Nicaragua. Uh, but that's that was up
0: there. Yeah, that one sounds like that stand out. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was up
2: there.
0: So, did you have? Just- uh, I mean, I have a bunch of questions too, and I, I'm sure Sean's are probably more uh, related to the story. <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, but I'm cur- I'm <laughs> curious uh, between Maine, Florida, Texas, Chicago, New Hampshire. And I think I already know the answer to this, but was there a specific location that you were more fond of, not because of the industry or the type of work you were doing, but just actually the area? Was there one that you were more particular to?
2: In many ways, the answer relates to where my family was in their years. Mm -hmm. So raising the family um, in Chicago was really special. Uh, The communities, the school systems... Um, the cultural activities, the transportation systems around Chicago. We live in Deerfield, Illinois, north of the city. Really, it was really solid for and good for uh, the family. Um, personally, from a family point of view, where we're at today, uh, is, it feels like coming mm-hmm. home. Where I grew up in, in Stratum, I was one of eight kids. And the fields that we played on uh, we donated to the town of Stratum, and they're now called Stra- Stevens Ballfield. Oh wow! So there's there's you know a, a baseball field and a couple of tennis courts and two soccer fields that the town operates. Um, that remind me of of home. Yeah. Um, many of my siblings are still uh, in this area, and we get together on an annual basis. Um, my high school class—I uh, graduated in 1958 from high school—has a class reunion every month.
0: Wow!
1: Every month,
2: Jeez. sixty-three years out of out of high school. Yeah, I think we planned it's like a five-year
0: reunion. I don't know how many people showed yeah. up, and yeah. then I haven't heard anything since then. So that's very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> it is impressive.
1: Small town, New Hampshire, though you know that's that's
2: right. And it was family. And really, everybody came from that family environment and liked one another. We came from different sides of the track, uh, as we thought about it at the time. But we really liked, we appreciated one another. And it's just that appreciation has grown over the years. Uh, And that's very, very unique and very rewarding to every month come together with a smaller group of folks every month. Uh, and catch up, remember, um, but also think about where we're at today and what we hope for for our families going forward.
1: So I, I got a question. What is the significance of the baseball bat hanging on your wall behind you?
2: Uh, I used to play a lot of baseball, and uh, that baseball bat happens to be, you know, we went down to see them in Louisville, Kentucky, where they make the baseball bats and uh, i have one with my name on Ooh, it very cool so that's that <laughs> you know it was one that you could yeah. buy and they put your name on it so i have that baseball bat with with my name on it i also have in my office pictures of warren spawn from the boston braves and going back to a different generation bobby Doerr. oh yeah my favorite baseball we've player, seen you in
0: the jersey the yeah, yeah. I even have a jersey, right. So have you yeah. have you used the bat? Did you take a couple swings with it or was it for display purposes only?
2: I, I, yeah, if, if you go on to my Facebook page. I was going to call it your
0: Facebook picture, profile
2: picture. We have a swing. I'm swinging the bat in the Facebook profile picture. Very nice. Not doing well. But.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Your form looks pretty good. I was never a big <laughs> baseball player, so I can't, I you know, I have no authority to say that, but yeah, I'll let I Justin it. be the judge of that.
2: I still love sports. I love, I love you know, good competition. Um, I love programs of excellence. I think that's what we are. Okay. I think, you know, over the years, the Nongong Patriots became one we 're really, a program which goes from the top of the organization throughout the entire organization mm-hmm. uh, and that's what we are at the global aquaculture alliance and And you look for those centers of excellence mm-hmm. and you want it you want to root for them yep. uh, so I, I I've always enjoyed competing right
1: Well, and there's something about being from New England and following Boston sports. It's a, it's a weird kind of connection that you don't see in other parts of the country all the time. Yeah. The, the, the support that the different teams have for each other is really fascinating up in, up in new England. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, we have to any, most of the Northern States from Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine, whether they have are big enough cities for triple A and I'm focusing on baseball. Well, I guess it's basketball as well, but any uh, affiliates of a professional sports team I and mean, we, Boston's the closest one, really, unless you, cross the, the river into New York. But if you were a New Englander rooting for a New York team, then you really had to watch your back. So
1: you're in, you're in <laughs> so before we finish up, I want to, I want to hearken back to one story that um, I've heard from that, that one Wally story that resonates with me that I think is just kind of mm. funny. And that, that story was told to us from Molly Jakes. Mm. She's been on this program before. Uh, and she talks about when she first went in <laughs> and, and, Checked out Slade Gordon, I think you were the one that kind of showed her around, and she commented on how on the, the smell the, the smell of dead fish around. And uh, do you remember what you told her?
2: I said that smells like money. <laughs> it's
1: the smell of money. that's exactly. And I, I, exactly yeah, and I, was, I, I yeah. always got a kick out of that. Yeah. I thought that was a great story.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I recruited Molly to join Slade Gordon when she was a Spanish teacher. Uh, fresh out of college. We, at the time, had a summer home. We have a summer home in Rhode Island mm-hmm. and she was in the summertime and all the neighbors were gathered around and she was wondering if she was going to go back to teach Spanish next the, the fall semester. And I said, well, you know, I, I think you do well in sales. And, uh, so we recruited her and, and, uh, She's just stuck like glue. We just can't get rid of her. I mean, Muscle yeah. Molly, right?
1: <laughs> so I'm trying to remind right, me. Remind me where where your house is in Rhode Island too, because that's I went in Narragansett.
2: We're in Narragansett. Right
1: yeah, so I went to University of Rhode Island. I think you knew that. Yeah. So a lot of the uh, places that you would be out on boats or you know be out swimming is where I learned what aquaculture was and I learned the seafood right. industry. I went to school at Uni- university of Rhode Island for aquaculture and fishery technology. So all of my labs were out in, out in the Bay and out in some of those, uh, some of those areas. So pretty cool. That, talk about coming full circle, you know, it's just, it's, That's right. it's interesting. And That's right. I also said when I went to Rhode Island, you know, living down at the beaches in Narragansett bonnet shores and stuff, I'm like, I'm never going back to New Hampshire. Never again.
0: Well, I moved back
1: to New Hampshire and now I am living in like the one town that's probably smaller than the one I grew up in, in New Hampshire. So, yeah. So, yeah. before we wrap it up, do you, what, you know, something that we ask all of our career pathways guests is what is some advice or some kind of words of wisdom that you would give to someone who is trying to carve out a career? Maybe someone is really interested in seafood and has a passion for it, but they don't have the confidence or they, they don't feel like there's the opportunities. What, what would you tell that person to help them guide and build their career in the seafood industry?
2: Well, I think all of our careers have built upon trust that you, over your career, you've shown evidence that you can be trusted and it really, it's reciprocal. You need to give trust in order to receive trust. You need to give loyalty in order to receive loyalty. You need to give respect in order to receive respect. You, you need to remember in your career that, you know, who do you work for? And you really work for the people who work for you. You know, and, and if you, and if you keep that, you know, you know, in your mind, um, I, I think it just it positions you to really be feel a great deal of pleasure in the accomplishments of the people that you've given respect to, you've given loyalty to, you've given trust to, you've given responsibilities to, and they in turn have reciprocated it back to you. That's that reciprocity. Um, you got to give to get.
1: I think I know a song that that's the chorus of it. You get what you give. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, is, is there anything else that you want to say while while you have the platform, the microphone, while we have you on here, Wally? What else would, uh, would you like to get out to our listeners before we sign off?
2: Well, I, I spoke about the Global Seafood Alliance and its work in, in assurances, but equally as important in order to get to that place where people do things responsibly, we need to teach them. So... Right. Education, uh, in many cases, we're all frustrated teachers. Uh, And teaching um, how to do things in a way that makes their business more sustainable is an important prerequisite to us in expecting them to meet some third-party standard. So, and even if they don't meet a third-party standard, anything that makes them operate their businesses better, are their lives better, uh, is is a very positive contribution that we make. So we'll look for the Global Seafood Alliance to not only expand their programs of assurances, but also to expand their programs of advocacy, education, training, uh, outreach, uh, so that we really broaden the influence and and appreciation for uh, all things seafood. It isn't just third-party certification.
1: I think that's important yep. to remember yep. too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where we come in. <laughs> that's the <laughs> that's the part of the company that Justin and I and Maddie, that's the world that we live in right now. So, yeah. mm-hmm. um, yeah. well, Wally, we really appreciate you joining us. You know, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. You know, I think you know that we all look up to you and, re- and respect the work that you've done. And I'm really grateful that you were willing to come on and, yeah. and tell you the story of your career. So thank you yeah. again.
2: That was fun. It was fun. I had to make notes.
0: That's all right. (laughs) We'll we'll cut that part out. We don't want anyone to know that you looked at notes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you
1: so much. And to our listeners, thank you so much for listening and being a subscriber. And we really appreciate everything that you guys do to help move the industry forward as well. Thank you so much. And we will talk to you next time. Ciao.